You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Back here trying to figure it out now. I just couldn't get the, the printer and the computer aren't communicating. It did long enough for me to print two of these off. Um, but um, so maybe in a little bit we'll give you a, hand, a handout. But in the meantime, we're going to be, we're going to start in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, and the title of today's lesson is Come Back Kids. Come Back Kids, the Come Back Kids. And uh, I preached a similar message to this uh, before, and it's one of my more infamous uh, illustrations. It's my illustration gone awry because my version of this message, as far as the title, was How to Bounce Back After a Fall. How to Bounce Back After a Fall. And what I used was a bouncy ball to illustrate, hey, you fall, but get, you bounce back, man, you know. And I said, what? But I said, some of us, we get down here and we, we fall and we just want to cr- crush ourselves and we just want to. And then I kicked the ball and Miss Jean was sitting about right there and uh, that ball just went right toward her because I was. So it kind of brings back some amusing memories to me. In Luke 15... We'll uh, begin reading here, and let me get over there myself. We're going to be talking about Luke in the coming days. Uh, anybody, anybody have any idea how many times Luke, his name would be mentioned in the Bible? Give, I'll tell you what, get, what, would be, what do you think would be a good over-under for how many times Luke's name would be mentioned in the Bible? What, uh, under five? All right, anybody... So, uh, uh, over or under five for the name times Luke's name is mentioned in the Bible. I heard somebody. It's 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 under. It's four. Uh, I believe it's four. Uh, that surprised me when I learned that. It really surprised me because we see the Gospel of Luke, right? But as far as actual mentions of Luke, but here's another interesting thing about uh, Luke. This is just uh, a little Bible trivia, I guess. But again, it, it's it's more. It's not. Any Bible trivia is not trivial, is it? It matters. Thank you, Ryan. He found he got the outline printed off. But um, Luke, God used Luke to write about one fourth of the New Testament. He wasn't an apostle, by the way. He wasn't he? Wasn't one of the apostles? Um, he was uh, just a man called by God. He was a physician. He was a medical physician who accompanied Paul on his journeys. But there's another interesting thing here. So about one-fourth of the New Testament was written by Luke. And, of course, we understand under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost of God. But here's something remarkable to me about both. So so if he wrote a fourth of the New Testament, what would that include? Luke and Acts. The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were penned by Luke. Here's another thing you may not realize. Both books were written to Theophilus. Theophilus. You say, who is that? Well, we're not sure who it is. But we do know that both of those books were addressed to an individual. So if you think about this gospel being being inspired by Luke, inspired by God for Luke to write so that he could share it with somebody we presume he was trying to either win to the Lord or help grow grow in the Lord, Theophilus. One person. But, of course, it's the Word of God, and so it went way beyond that. But, uh, yeah, but just check, the, check those things out because 
This is all ahead of us studying the book of Acts, by the way, which is something that I've uh, been preparing for. But here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15, we're going to see something about comeback kids. We're gonna, we read about a kid who came back, uh, literally came back. And verse 11, we'll just read it here. And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. I'm going to say this before I forget to mention it, because I'm not doing a I'm not doing a verse by verse study of Luke 15 here. We're using we're really a, we're we're using the practical principle that Jesus and the practical story that Jesus was using to speak of repentance, but. One of the ways that we get in trouble when it comes to sin, oftentimes, is it's not being willing to wait. Not willing to wait. Right? Uh, you, think about, uh, you, you think about getting in trouble with debt and stuff. How do you usually get in trouble with debt? A lot of times it's because you're not willing to wait. You're not willing to wait until you can actually afford something. Uh, you're not willing to wait until you can buy, purchase something outright. Um, but think about when it comes to, uh, I thought about this specifically with young people, with the teenagers that we got in here tonight, the young people, the, any, anybody that's not yet married that intends to be married, uh, that a lot of times people aren't willing to wait. God says, I have a beautiful plan for you if you'll wait. I've got a meaningful, wholesome relationship for you. But you got to wait. You got to wait. Well, I don't want to wait. Who wants to wait, by the way, on anything? We don't like waiting. So this young man said, Father, I don't want to wait for you to die. I'm, I'm so focused and so deceived by sin right now, I'm going to disrespect you to the point to where I'm virtually saying, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. I want my inheritance now. So just a little principle there about waiting. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in, the, in that land, and, there, and, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Choosing sin, choosing the world, it offers immediate gratification, but it always ends in waste. It always ends in sorrow. It always ends in hunger. And that's exactly where this man... But he started thinking about his father. He said, man, the servants of my father are full. The servants of my father are living a lot better than I'm living. So he says... I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy. Anybody ever have that feeling? I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father grabbed a stick. And ran after him and grabbed a few of his servants. And together they began to beat upside the head, 
around the body, drag this son to give him his rightful due. <laughs> of course, you may have realized that you've been wondering what version I switched to right there, right? But no, it's not what it says. And when he came to his father, he, when, he arose, he came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him. Why did he see him? Because he was looking for him. And he had compassion. And he ran. And he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the, said, the son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said, Son, I told you if you went that way, this is what was going to happen to you. I told you you'd regret it. I told you you'd come across. Oh, no, you, no, I'm off again, ain't I? No. Father just didn't even acknowledge it. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be merry. Now, I want to get right back into the application that we're making this and using the story of repentance because that's what this is. But you ought to know that one of the main reasons for this parable and for this story is to teach something about the elder brother because what, the, what Jesus was trying to teach the Jews is you're like the elder brother. I'm here calling sinners to repentance. I'm here calling people back to God. And you're over here being bitter and angry about it. And what he was really trying to say was that the one with the biggest problem wasn't actually the one, the prodigal son. The biggest problem was the prodigal son that never left home. Because he was still living right, he was still keeping the law, he was still doing these things, but his heart wasn't right. But I want to say, thank God that this boy was able to come home. And I'm telling you today, if there's nothing else you get out of this message as we talk about repentance, and that's the first blank, what is repentance? The definition of repentance, that's the second blank, repentance, repentance, is that you can repent. Any of you ever sin? You ever uh, fall short? You ever fall away? Are you ever surprised at, the poten uh, at, at your potential to do evil? All right? Uh, and, and, and whether you carry out that evil or not, are you ever surprised that, uh, to, uh, to, at the realization that you could actually carry out this evil? Uh, we're sinful people. Repentance. So the question, as we're going to see in just a moment, isn't if you sin. If you need to repent. It's not that. It is when you need to repent. What is repentance? And we're going to look at today the definition of repentance. B, we're going to look at the result of repentance. Two, we're going to look at what leads to repentance. Three, we're going to look at what hinders repentance. What leads to repentance? What hinders repentance? And then we'll stop right there. I'll give you the other ones as we get there. Does anybody remember, has everybody in here learned how to ride a bike? Pretty much. Everybody learned to ride a bike? Uh, I remember two or three people. Good for you. Uh, the rest of you, man, it's some surprise. But, 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 but learning to, uh, it's so hard to get participation in church. It's just hilarious. But 
But that's all right. But I remember learning how to ride a bike, and I, I remember pretty vividly, actually, because I learned by riding my bike around my yard. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of just getting my bearings and kind of getting the feel for it and, and, and riding up and down the driveway and kind of riding, you know, doing a figure eight through the cars and just learning how to navigate a bike. Well, finally, I, I remember getting up the courage to head down my road. Now, we lived on a little bit of a hill on a gravel road, on a dirt road, all right? And so I'm just like, man, I'm confident, I'm feeling good, I'm ready to go. And so I went out and, bang, out of my driveway and down that dirt road I went, down the hill. And I, I, I seriously, I remember this so vividly. I don't know, I guess maybe because of, but I remember, I guess I was sitting on my seat because that's what I did do around the yard. I didn't get up. And so I'm sitting on my seat and going down this gravel road down the hill, I can just remember shaking, shaking, shaking. And I remember just not being able to see what was going on, losing control, and finally just wiping out. And coming home crying. All right, coming home crying. And that, but, but here's, the, here's the story about that. That was not my last time riding a bike. I brought my bike home, and again, I didn't ride it home. I don't even think I got it. I think I probably ran home. I think my parents, I, I, I do remember that as well, because uh, after my mom's trying to, you know, clean me up and bandage me up, because those rocks just tore my legs to pieces. Um, just blood and, you know, gravel in, in the wounds, and uh, it's probably ten times worse than I'm explaining it right now. But, uh, when, but when I was a kid, it sure seemed like it. But I remember asking, where's my bike? And, you know, my dad or whatever went and got the bike. But the point is, is I got back on the bike. I, I tried again. I tried again. And many of us, I, I, I still have scars from when I was a kid trying stuff, right, that, uh, uh, that, that I learned to get back up and try again. And that's the way it is riding a bike. But it's the same way in life. Sometimes we fall. And I, I, one of the examples, I, I read it some time ago. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to share, share the book title with you, but it just left my mind. But I remember he used the example in that book, and you've heard me share it. But the way he presented it was this way, that every one of you, and again, this could sound almost pipe psychologi psychological, psychological at first, but I need to read more books. But, uh, but, but that you're all winners, every one of you. Every one of you is somebody who has the potential to come back, to bounce back, to come. And, and, and the reason that we know that, and you, some of you may, may remember this, is that there was a time when you were learning to crawl, eventually learning to walk, right? And just that whole story, when you're learning to walk, you fall over and over again. You, you look silly when you're trying to walk. Uh, you get up, you fall down. But isn't it amazing that there is not one of you sitting here today that quit? Not one of you. There's a good chance that some of you hit your heads. I mean, maybe multiple times, which explains some things, if we knew about that. Got hurt, hurt your knees. Got, but you probably actually didn't get all that embarrassed. You, but, but every last one of you just kept getting up again. You would not be stopped. You could not be stopped. You kept getting up. And so that, that tells me that every one of us have that in us. But by the time we get to this point in our lives, a lot of times we quit believing that. And we don't believe we got it in us. And really, the, the main point is, 
God's put that in people naturally to an extent, obviously, because we weren't Christians when we were babies. But I'm telling you, as Christians, as people who are saved, who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them, who have the promises of God empowering us, folks, that's us. We still, there, there's no reason for us to stop. When you fall, not if you fall. And remember, when I'm talking about falling here, it's not always falling into gross, what we consider gross sin. It may be falling into pride, self-dependence, self-reliance. It could be a lot of things. It's not always, you know, you are all going to fall off the wagon and head back to the bar or something. That's not what we're talking about, okay? It's just that we all fall into sin. And so, but, but here's what the Bible says. One of my favorite passages, one of my favorite passages is Proverbs 24, 16. For a just man falleth seven times. Now, that's just an interesting statement, right? A just man falleth seven times. Well, how can he be a just man if he's fallen seven times? And by the way, when you read the word seven in the Bible, there's usually more than just saying seven times. I mean, what, what does it carry the idea of? Yeah, in, in other words, just it, which perfection, is, another word for perfection is completion, which is the idea of a good man, like this just man just keeps falling. And that don't sound right to me. In our vernacular, I'd say, uh, 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 a low-down sinner that doesn't have what it takes just keeps falling seven times over and over again. But that's not what the Bible says. It says a just man falls seven times and riseth up again and riseth up again. I love that verse because I have fallen and I've had to learn to get up again. Repentance. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You know, it, it makes me think of, uh, you know, we, it makes me think of just how to cowboy up, get knocked off the horse. What do you do? You get back on there again. You dust yourself off and you get back on again. That's what you do when you fall. So joyful Christians learn how to turn back quick, quickly when they fail. We learn to not be all, thrown off so much by it. Because that's what happens sometimes. I guess I just ain't cut out for this. I, I, I must just be the worst, you know, or whatever. It's like you start figuring out, well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I've got a gracious Savior. So repentance. What is repentance? Just like we read here with the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he ran to his father. And, the, and, and what repentance really is is running to Jesus. Okay, so repentance. And the definition of repentance, what is it? I'll tell you a couple things it's not. It's not just guilt, shame, or condemnation. Okay? Um, God truly used... The, shame and guilt are things that, that sin lead to and God will use to help us to get right. But, ultimately, conviction is what we call that. Conviction leads you to Jesus. Condemnation pushes you away from Jesus. Condemnation says you're not good enough. Condemnation says you've fallen too many times now. Conviction says come to me. Conviction says you've sinned, but come home. Come home. 
Repentance is not merely regret, remorse, or self-abasement. Any of you ever do that? I, I, I dare say, even in our number today, that it's a good possibility that there's some people that sin and just, instead of running to Jesus and getting it right, you just almost wallow in your sin. You self-abase. You just put yourself down. I'm just so low down and sorry and blah, blah, blah. Believe me, I get that. But that's not what repentance is. Uh, Jesus, we, we want to beat ourselves up, but Jesus is saying, wait a second, I took your beating. I took your beating. So nobody else can beat you. And you, you certainly don't have the right to beat you. I took your beating already. So it's not just beating ourselves up. It's not penance. It's not penance. It's not atonement. It's not payment or punishment. If you remember, you know, some of the, uh, I don't know if you, uh, I know we got quite a few in our church that were uh, former, uh, formerly in the tradition of Catholicism. Depending how old you are may depend on the types of penance you may or may not have done. But, uh, you know, for uh, Martin Luther, that's one of the things, if you remember, he would, he would try to do penance. He would, he would crawl up and down these jagged, rocky, hard, cold stairs on his knees. Uh, trying to do penance, trying to uh, make up, which again, I feel like that, that, that tendency to penance, I think, falls into us beating ourselves up. You know, the Puritans, the Puritans famously would beat themselves. They would have whips and would, stri would stri strike themselves in the back when they sinned. We may not physically do that stuff, but we emotionally do that stuff to ourselves a lot of times. But that's not Repentance. And that, that's not right. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness over and over and over again. It's not. No. Jesus is our propitiation, which means that He is the full payment of sin. That God allows to stand forever in our favor and on our side. So... God is always there with open arms of grace no matter what. He, listen, He's already forgiven us, technically. We just have to turn to Him. The Father is just looking, waiting. Come back. I'm wanting you to come to yourself. Lastly, what is repentance? Or what is, isn't repentance? Maybe I should be asking. It isn't regaining or reclaiming salvation. Once you are truly saved by the grace of God, you are saved forever. Amen. The Bible does not teach that you are to be born again and again and again. You are born again. Jesus used that example because what do we understand? You're not born physically more than once. You're born physically once. You're born spiritually once. So it's not regaining or reclaiming salvation. So... What is the definition of repentance? Revelation 3.19, the Bible says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So that's Revelation 3.19. And the word zealous, when Jesus says be zealous, therefore, that means to be moved with energetic or earnest desire. <laughs> In other words, run to Jesus. Be zealous. Come home. Come home, be zealous and repent. Repentance literally means to think differently, 
to change one's mind. Now, clearly, we, we, we mention this a lot in terms of repentance. Repentance is a super misunderstood, mispreached, mistaught, and again, very misapplied word and teaching. Some people teach repentance as some kind of work for salvation. It's not that. Because right now I'm talking about how Christians need to repent. But when we come to Christ to be our Savior, we must repent. And see, what a lot of people think is, oh, that means that you need to, that, you know, if you're a, if you're a cusser and a drinker and a smoker, you need to stop drinking, quit smoking, and repent, and then come to Jesus. Well, that's not really exactly the idea. The true idea of repentance is changing your mind about all this stuff. When I got saved by the grace of mind, I, God, I changed my mind about this. I changed my mind because I thought, number one, I thought that God was going to be okay with me outweigh my good and bad. I've shared that with you before. And therefore, I thought that life, that sinful lifestyle, that partying lifestyle is where I might find fulfillment. But when I heard the gospel, the Spirit of God helped me shine the light and helped me to change my mind about that. And I was like, wait a second. This is just leading, this is just leading deeper into the hog pen. And, wait, it's not my good and my bad? I'm changing my mind here. God's changing my mind. It's not just my good and my bad. Jesus paid it all? Okay. The Lord, through, through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit of God, the truth of the Word of God, helps me to change my mind. But here's the thing. If, I really change, if you really change your mind about something, you see it, right? I mean... I, I, I bet, I don't know if anybody in here would want to admit it, but there may be some people sitting here today who were on the fence about coming to Connection Group this morning. On the fence. I don't know. You know what? We'll just come at 11. Or maybe not come at all or whatever. Now, if you repented, that means you changed your mind. But what is the evidence that you changed your mind? You're here. You're walk. You're here, obviously. So it's a change of mind. It means to think differently. And so when that's the way we come to Christ in salvation, but it's also as Christians the way, so we've got to change our mind about what we think. We think that the things I was mentioning earlier. You know, for 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 says this, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Interesting verse, right? In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. A lot of people oppose themselves. And we oppose ourselves when we're allowing what we think to go contrary to what God's Word tells us to think and what God's Word tells us is truth. We, we're opposing ourselves. And so the Bible tells us as Christians, and for Timothy specifically, Timothy, as a pastor of that church, in, in, a, in meekness, you need to instruct those because there's a lot of people that are opposing themselves right now. You need to help them see things the right way because when we're not thinking right, therefore not doing right, we're opposing ourselves. So help them to, to, to come to the acknowledging of the truth. So repentance is a willing personal acknowledgement of sin and a renewed yielding to Jesus for grace-driven life change. 
God does not ask you to pay for your sin. God does not ask you to make up for your sin. God does not ask you to atone for your sin. He, or just to feel badly about your sin. Here's what, here's what repentance is. He calls you to acknowledge it, confess it, and forsake it. He calls you to run from sin and to run to Him. So again, let's think about that. To acknowledge it. In other words, when the Bible says, uh, anybody, can anybody tell me 1 John chapter 1, verse 10? Anybody quote that verse? Amen. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us, of our sin, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the confession there, again, talking about defining terms, is not merely saying, hey, this is what I have done. It's not merely doing that. That word confession, if you look up the meaning of that word, it carries the idea of agreement. It carries the idea of saying the same thing. In other words, acknowledging it, agreeing with God against your sin. Agreeing with God, okay? Um, so just think about that for a second because that's where the trouble can be. Because when we're first confronted with our sin, you, you could think about this again. I'm talking about us being confronted with our sin. But if you go back to a child, think about a child being confronted with doing the wrong thing. Just to try to help you get it into context. But what are, some, what, are some ways that we can, what are some ways we can react to our sin when we're confronted with our sin? What are some ways? What is that, Dan? Denial. Denial, justification. Um, yes, saying either I didn't do it or that's not really a sin, uh, which kind of, I guess then that goes into the justification. What's something else? What's that? Brokenness, absolutely. Brokenness. Uh, what else did I hear? Shame. Absolutely. Shame. That, those are some of the ways we come. And, and again, some of those things may help us lead. Some of those are almost more positive if we let them lead us to repentance. Not the denial, not the justification, but the brokenness and shame can help lead us to repentance uh, if we don't just decide to dwell on those things. Um, Think, think about something else. Right, let, let me put it into the context of the home again. Let's, let's bring in some children here, and you've got a kid that's done wrong that has brothers and sisters. They do wrong. What's another thing they do when they're confronted with what they've done wrong? Blame. All right, yeah, it's somebody else's fault. Uh, maybe it's the parents' fault. Um, you, know, uh, you know, remember Adam and Eve? We talked about that Wednesday. Adam and Eve both blamed uh, God, blamed the serpent, blamed, just went all over the place, blamed the woman. Uh, it's blame, all right? So this is one of the big things, repentance. Sin will make you feel shame, broken, and all that. Don't oppose yourself by defending your sin. Don't do it. We, we all have, we're all apt to do that. we all apt to do that. But don't oppose, you're opposing yourself if you stand with your sin. But if we confess our sin, we're agreeing with God against our sin. So blame. It's somebody else's fault. It's this. It's that. How about this? Uh, if you are the, uh, that's one of the reasons I believe God tells Timothy there to instruct these people in meekness. 
Because for one thing, Timothy understands just as much as anybody that he is just susceptible and he has also had to repent of his sins. He, he, he uh, regularly has to repent, just like we all do. But believe me, if you are the bearer of the repentance message, guess what? Sometimes you get the blame. If you get up and preach or teach or just maybe somebody you love and care about it and you, you confront them with sin, what are you accused of? Judging. Oh, he's judging me. He's judging me. Am I judging? I'm not judging. I'm, I'm just telling you what sin is and, and, and how to be forgiven of sin. But I'm telling you, you got to know what sin is. And that's one of the... People don't like to hear about their sin, but it's necessary for people to hear about sin. Um, so anyway, all right, acknowledge it, confess it. In other words, to admit, to, God, to admit it before God, no hiding, no rationalizing, no blaming, no excusing, no tolerating, no justifying, no ignoring. Confess your sin. God, I did this. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba in his prayer of repentance, which I think you'll find in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Now, he wasn't justifying what he had done, the, 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 the way people were hurt by his decision, but what he was acknowledging was, God, I have sinned. But again, we can't have God, I sinned, but... Somebody, you know, influenced me the wrong way. Lord, I sinned, but uh, what was I supposed to do? My parents were strict, so I sinned. You know, whatever. It's like, okay, being around the wrong people can lead you to sin. There, there's times that parents, hey, we try to do the right thing, but there's no doubt that if we're, if, we're, if we're not successful in reaching the hearts of our children, and by the way, and if the children aren't willing to give us their hearts, I'm telling you, the, the, the response to... Discipline, the response to trying to keep kids on the straight and narrow is rebellion if that kid is not right with God, right? And so we try to do that. And so it's, it's just like Paul said. He said that I would not have known sin if the Bible hadn't said thou shalt not covet. Hearing thou shalt not covet did not make Paul covet. It, it, it exposed his covetousness. And it's the same way. So all these things, there might be reasons that led you to sin but when it comes to true biblical confession own it own it own it own it i did this but you know if you know somebody's unfaithful in their marriage oh honey i did this but you know if you would have been more no 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 we're, we're not blaming here you're not really getting right when you're confessing and blaming at the same time by the way it's one of the big challenges when it comes to relationships between brothers and sisters in church oftentimes, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we need to get something right. Hey, I'm sorry that I, you know, said this, did this, whatever. But you know, if you hadn't said what you said, I never would have done it. I never would have said it. Nope, not doing that. It's up to you to get yourself right, but I can just handle myself and I'm just going to own my side of it. I sinned. I was wrong. Acknowledge it, confess it, and then forsake it. Uh, he, that, uh, he that covereth his sin, the Bible says, shall not prosper. If you've got sin covered, 
you're not going to prosper. And you can be sure your sin will find you out, the Bible says. But he that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Forsake it. Make a choice of the will in Christ to be dead to it and to serve righteousness. Remember, this is a habit of a healthy Christian. Real Christians. We're talking about real Christianity. Real Christians have to repent over and over and over and over and over. And it's one of the reasons why I don't have that much time to be worrying and judging other people as a Christian. Man, I'm trying to keep myself right with God. You know, or I'm trying to, I've got enough to keep up with with this guy. All right, so what leads to repentance? That was the second. And what leads to repentance? Of course, you may think, oh man, pain, punishment, judgment. Well, that, that, that works. But before God ever sent judgment on Israel, for instance, for their sin, He always sent prophets. He always had mercy. Oftentimes, He, he would send a prophet and He would give space for repentance. God didn't just, you know, come into the room with the belt flying, you know, and going all crazy. He gave time. It's not, so in other words, it's, it, it's not meant for, to, to get to that point. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Goodness. God's amazing goodness leads to repentance. Isn't <laughs> that something? Goodness leads to repentance. Now, we may think that negative con the threat of negative consequences, that's what will fix them. That may fix behaviors, but that's not what will fix the heart. And that's why the greatest motivation is love. Now, we understand. We, 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 live, in, we live in a nation of laws that are inspired, by the way, by the laws that we find in this book. We live in a nation of laws. If someone violates the laws, there are to be consequences for those laws. But it's not just... How much better would it be? You look at early America, by the way. It, it's amazing. In many ways, it's amazing that America is still a country. Did you know that? The founders of the country, and for the first 150 years of the country, there was an acknowledgement that our Constitution and Bill of Rights and so forth would only suffice for basically for a moral and a God-fearing people. Well, how many moral and God-fearing people are there today? Um, and now, I, I, the answer is not that we change the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. The answer is that we, we seek to change the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls, with the truth of God's Word. But go back to our story. What was it that led this boy to repentance? Hard times. And then... Man, remember my father. He, he, he never once, you know, I, I was reading into all that. He never once thought he would go home and get a beating. I, it, at least we don't read it here. He didn't think he would go home and get rejected. He was sure that at least his father would let him come back and be a servant. Because being a servant in his father's house, his father was so good that living the life of a servant in the father's house was actually a pretty good life. And he believed that his father was at least good enough to let him come home and be a servant. But I wonder how much sooner the prodigal son would have 
confessed, acknowledged, confessed, and forsook the hog pen if he would have really known what was going to happen when he got home? You listen to me right now. I wonder how much quicker he would have ran to the Father. And what I want to encourage you to do today, there's people that are hesitant to leave the hog pen, not sure if they can leave the hog pen because they're not, they're not sure the Father's going to want them. They're not sure God's going to want to cleanse them. They're not sure of all these things. But let me tell you, the Father is ready. Amen? He's looking. Run to Him and He will run to you. And, uh, and then I'll give you these here as we uh, come to a close. What hinders repentance? This is on the back side of the page. I give them to you. A love for sin. A love for sin. You talk about loving something destructive. You know, it reminds me of people in abusive relationships. I remember uh, one of my best friends growing up, he had an uncle that was a, a repeat spousal abuser. He had, I mean, literally he would, he would get drunk and he would beat his wife and his girlfriend, and he usually had at least those two. He couldn't keep them women away from him. They would come back and come back and come back because, of course, he would come and do the whole thing, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again, I love you so much and all this stuff. They would come back, and, and, and it was just a heartbreaking thing to see. But that's kind of how people are with sin. You're in an abusive relationship, People love their sin and that hinders repentance. But you need to understand that you're in an abusive relationship and there's a better relationship in store for you. B, pride and self-will. Pride and self-will. And that's when we're doing the justification and the excusing and the blaming. Pride and self-will. I want to tell you something right now. I understand that there are certain personalities that by nature you have a harder time admitting that you've done wrong and you have a harder time saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. But I want to encourage you to let God soften your heart and your pride and encourage you to help God ask you, with, ask you to, ask to help you with that. Because that is not a healthy way to be as a Christian. Admit that you're wrong. Tell someone you are sorry. Now there's other, there's some of us that are on the totally opposite of the spectrum. Somebody can bump into me and I'll tell them I'm sorry. You know, right? I, I say I'm sorry too much. And then my, then my sorries don't sound as sincere because I'm always sorry for something. Some of us are like that. But I want to, and, and that's not healthy either. We, and I'm, I'm working on that. And God's working on me about that. But I want to tell you right now, why, why, is it that you, why is it that you would not acknowledge that you're wrong without adding, but y'all drive me crazy? Sorry that I lost it on you, but you're driving me nuts. Oh, wait, so we're, I'm confused. It, it sounded like you were saying it was your fault, but now it sounds like it's my fault. Right? Um... So can you? So again, I just want to encourage you because you're opposing yourself, and I want to try to meekly encourage you if you're opposing yourself. If you have a hard time admitting that you've done wrong without adding the other stuff to it, that it was actually my fault anyway, in the long run. Okay, uh, ignorance of God's goodness—that's a big one. 
Ignorance of God's goodness. That's C. Ignorance of God's goodness. Not no, Man, are you kidding me? God is gracious. He's merciful. All right? D, sin's pleasure. Sin's pleasure. You know, it's a tough prayer to pray. But there's some people living in such a way to where probably my main prayer for their life is that they would hit rock bottom. Well, that sounds mean. That sounds cruel. I don't believe it is. I believe this is a person who is being deceived by sin and they need to see and understand what rock bottom is. And, and by the way, if this is a tough thing. But I think that we've got to use a little bit of wisdom when somebody has sinned and when somebody has somebody's suffering the consequences of their sin coming in to bail them out too quickly and enabling them and in helping them to continue in the path that they're on. Sometimes the nicest thing that we can do as Christians is to say no. I'm not quote-unquote helping you. And here's why I'm not quote-unquote helping you, because I don't believe I am helping you. Uh, so that, that, that's something, you know. And, and as a parent, there's times as a parent, there's parents in here that's made, that have made tough decisions. They've received phone calls and they've said, I'm not bailing you out. D did you do this? Yeah, I did it. Well, you know what? Uh, Dan Kill says it publicly. Uh, one of the best things his parents did for him was not bailing him out. Is that right? And, uh, and one of the reasons Dan's sitting here today, and maybe he would have eventually been sitting here, but, but it's, a, it's a tough thing. And again, it's hard. And by the way, I'll tell you this. Anytime I talk to a parent and encourage them about doing right with their kids, if they're, if they're experiencing something and walking through something that I haven't had to experience, I try to be real careful with the way, I try to be real meek about the way that I approach them. I've had people call me about their adult children and say, this is what's going on with my adult children. What should I do? And I say, well, here's what I believe the right advice is. But I want to add to that, I'm sitting in a place to where I, I can't tell you that here is what I did. So I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to instruct you on what I believe is the right thing. But I also want to acknowledge that that's a very tough thing to do. And when I've seen parents say, I can't do it, I can't do it, you know what? I don't judge them. I say, man, I get it. <laughs> you know, and I don't want to enable there either, but it's just like, gosh, it's easy to say this is the right thing to do. It's harder to do it. So, um, and then quickly, last, I'll just give you these last few. Why is sin repetitive? Why is sin, re why is repentance, I'm sorry, why is repentance repetitive? Repetitive. And basically, it's because sin's repetitive. We just, we, we sin, we come short of the glory of God. Uh, a couple things we need to realize, these last blanks, about our victory. Repentance is repetitive. Victory will be incremental. Incremental. In other words, it's not just all at once. It's not, and that can be our frustration. Some people, literally, I basically get the question, I feel like regularly, Preacher, what can I do to repent and never sin again? Exactly how can I figure out how to never fall again? Now, they don't ask me that in those words, but that's what people are asking me. Preacher, I need the secret. What's the secret? Oh, I, I got the secret. The rapture. <laughs> Amen. Heaven. 
is the secret. Because on this earth, we're going to continue to struggle. We're going to continue to sin. And I've shared with you before, sin is so sneaky. I think about this so often, but it was a big lesson in my life as a younger Christian. When I no longer was struggling with drinking and drugs in my old lifestyle, God had brought me past that. And then God convicted me because then I was struggling with pride because I was doing so good. I mean, it just gets you one way or the other. All right? So victory will be incremental. B, victory will be seasonal. Victory will be seasonal. We go through seasons of life. We go through seasons of temptation. You go through seasons to where, man, you don't feel like you'll ever have the strength again. You don't feel like you'll ever have victory again. But I'm telling you, you will. All right? Victory will not always be measurable. It's not always measurable. In other words, too many, pe too many of us want to look at ourselves to determine where we're at in terms of our Christian life. We want to measure. Quit measuring. Just look to Jesus. And you realize there's no need to measure because, man, I've got a long ways to go. And that's what you need to know. Just keep looking to Jesus, loving Him, understanding. Because what, a lot of times we don't realize but what we want is we almost are asking sometimes, Hey, preacher, can you tell me how to quit bugging God about this repentance and forgiveness thing? I want, I want to become a Christian that no longer needs God in my life because I'm, I'm, I've got it. And again, nobody's asked me that in those exact terms, but I feel like that's what we say sometimes. There, that's, that doesn't happen. There doesn't reach a time to where you don't need God. And one of the things that the seasons and, and, and being measurable and trying to measure, listen, those are just, just traps because we are never there. We're always just sinners. And, and sometimes we just need to be reminded. I don't like it, but I've told you before, I thank God when I'm reminded of how weak I am. I thank God when I'm reminded, I, I don't like it, but I'm reminded how needful I am of Him and His help and how much of a mess I am. I'm looking at Him. I'm not measuring because if we start measuring, what are we measuring ourselves against? Normally each other, our past, whatever. No, just keep, the Bible says looking unto Jesus. And then D, victory will one day be final. Praise the Lord. Amen. That day is coming. We got the promise of that. But in the meantime, keep running to Jesus. What are the odds of you sinning before church is over today? I'd say pretty good. What do you do? Run to Jesus. Amen. Run to Jesus. Ask Him to help you. Don't start condemning yourself, beating yourself. He's took the beating. You just need to accept His forgiveness. Amen. All righty. Well, thank you so much for your patience this morning. I always want to...